I'm really just thankful for the move of God in the house of God, aren't you? Yes. Thankful for the spirit of presence of God today in the house. If you're online today, I hope you sense that. God's doing something at the gate church that is unique. God's doing something that's unique. It's a divine appointment. I don't know if you sense that, but it's a divine moment. It's a divine moment for your life. I just came with a word today that God is releasing a divine appointment into lives today. There's an awakening coming on the inside of the church. Can I get an amen? There's an awakening of the presence of God, an awakening of the purpose of God. Come on, when you're aware, when you're expectant, when you come to a place and you say, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm here for it, then God shows up and you see miracle signs and wonders. Come on, you see God breaking through in ways that you had not experienced before. And you just get your faith stirred up. Somebody just needs your faith stirred up today. Listen, you're not far away from a breakthrough. Amen. I just thank God for what he's doing at the gate and the pumpkin patch. I know we've talked about that on the announcements today, but there's a why behind that. There's a reason we do that because we believe this place should be a place where people come and experience the presence of the Lord. And sometimes you can do that through pumpkins. When people get invited, when we make a space and we just say, you know, we want our city to feel welcome. So I want to encourage you to look at the info center at the back or look on our our website and get connected to what God's doing on this campus. And God's using us in incredible ways, using the gay church. We've been doing it for how many years, Pastor Kathy? You talked about 10 years, 10 years. We've been sowing this seed into our city. It takes, it takes money, it takes investments, and it takes a heart for the city. How many have a heart for the city? You love Jesus? You want to show people Jesus? Amen. And then also, I just want to continue to pray that I know Pastor Kathy and our team are, uh, some of our team are going out to minister this week in, in uh, Branson, Missouri to some pastors and leaders. If you've not been here for very long, one of the calls on this house is to lift up the hands of leaders to pray over and encourage shepherds and leaders. And we're gonna continue that vision. The vision looks different today, but it continues. The vision is not what we thought it would be because God's already ahead of us. And and when we enter in that place, we just thank God. We didn't know what you were doing, but now we see. And so we're praying this week for, we do, it's called the gathering. So I want you to pray and lift up Pastor Kathy, lift up our team. Can we take a moment to do that? Father, we thank you today that you're going to use this season to minister to pastors and leaders. And we lift them up today. We pray for you. There's some pastors and leaders watching today. I pray over you today. You've been discouraged. You've, you've, You've given everything you had this year. And it's been a difficult moment, but we lift you up today in prayer. We just lift, extend our hands today and believe that people that are leading the body of Christ, that are leaders and pastors and shepherds all over this nation are being lifted up and encouraged in Jesus' name. We thank you for them, Lord. We thank you for this gift, this opportunity to serve them. In your name, we just pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't you turn to James chapter 5. James 5, let's read this passage. Quickly, we'll read James chapter five. We're we're in a series in a season of building our prayer life. How many believe prayer is important? We've been meeting on Wednesday nights and going through an intensive about prayer life. Prayer can be intimidating. We can feel like we're not enough in prayer, but I believe God is inviting the church to be awakened through unhindered prayer. And so James chapter five, James is a, a practical, practical New Testament theologian. He, he is, he's just kind of blue collar 
practical application. You can read the book of James in just one sitting. It's five chapters. And in the fifth chapter, in verse 12, he starts by saying this. He says, most importantly, most importantly, he said all of these things in these previous verses. And then he says, most importantly, brothers and sisters, never make a solemn pledge, neither by heaven or earth, nor by anything else, but instead speak with the simple yes or no, or else you may fall under judgment. And then he says, if any of you are suffering, you should do what? You should pray. If any of you are happy, then you should sing prayer. You should prayerfully sing. If any of you are sick, you should call for the elders of the church and the elders should do what? Should pray, should pray over them, anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord and prayer that comes from faith will heal the sick. How many believe God's in the business of healing the sick? For the Lord will restore them to health and they who have sinned, they will be forgiven. Watch this. For this reason, confess your sins to each other and do what? Pray with each other so that you may be healed. And look at this final verse, the prayer, what? Of the righteous person is powerful in what it can achieve. The prayer of the righteous person is powerful in what it can achieve. It can achieve forgiveness. It can achieve healing. Come on, purpose and destiny can be revealed through prayer. Love is revealed through prayer. There is power in breakthrough prayer. So I don't know what's going on in your life today, but I just believe God is awakening the house to a move of prayer. And I'm gonna speak today on unhindered prayer. Somebody say unhindered prayer. Father, thank you today for the reading of your word. Thank you for the preaching of your word today. Uh, We get stirred up today and we set our hearts to hear what you're saying. Our minds are ready. Our hearts are open. Now plant the seed that will change us on the inside. We invite today the spirit of prayer. I just pray that right now. Let there be a spirit of presence of God sweep across this room and all our online audience today in Jesus' name. Can you shout amen? Amen. Be seated in God's presence today. I'm thankful that we live in a time where it may seem like things are not going as you planned, but it's going as God is using them. God is planning. He has already preordained the circumstances of your life. And so even though you and I arrive at a place and we feel restricted, we feel discouraged, we feel like that God isn't there. How many of you ever felt that way? You feel like you're isolated. You're like, like you're alone. Like you, don't, like you don't know where to turn because all of these circumstances have invaded your life and you're moving into a restricted place. Somebody say a restricted place. Whenever God's birthing something in your life, remember, it comes through a time of restriction. See, I believe the last two years of our life, even as a local church, but as the church in general, God has been preparing us for this. God is moving on this church to open our eyes, open our eyes to what he's doing and for a harvest of souls. I just, I was watching just recently and Bishop Miller preached this message just a few years ago. Pastor Kathy and our team will remember this. He talked about in the next 20 years, there will be a greater harvest of souls than there had been in the first several hundred years of Christianity. 
And I believe that. Why? Because the church is awakening itself to the presence and the power of God. And when the church becomes aware, come on, when the eyes are open, we begin to see God moving in ways that we were previously closed off to. We were previously blinded to. See, that's what's happening in your life. You're restricted. You're, you may feel discouraged. You may feel like you're in a place of restriction, but God's just simply taking away the things that you don't need for the next season. There are things in your life that won't fit through this door. Somebody needs to hear this today. There are things that God's taking you through because if you keep on that baggage from a previous season, you can't have the eyesight to see into the next place for your life. And prayer is a process of leading you into the birthing canal so there's a restricting place where you lose those previous hangups. Those paradigms that served you, and somebody needs to hear this today, those paradigms that served you in one season won't serve you in the next. Because there is a greater level of grace coming on your life. There is a mentality that you used to have that won't work in your new season. And the only way to rid ourselves of that at times is to move through a season of restriction, a season of prayer, a season of birthing. And prayer is often, you in, in scripture and, and in Christianity, is often used as a, a, a metaphor of, of a dark place. A time of silence, a time of contemplation, a, a time of being brought away. There's, there's something that uh, St. John of the Cross, like often he famously wrote, called the, the dark night of the soul. See, you, you, you go through a season, the church might go through a season where it seems dark all around us, but God is just preparing us as a contrast to the darkness. He's bringing the light to a greater focus. God's, God might lead you into a place of darkness. He might lead you into a place of birthing. It may seem like he's left you, but actually he's going with you because he's transforming you and shaping you through that process and birthing you into a new place of grace. God's opening up the eyes of the church and he's bringing a harvest. It's a time of unveiling. You might call it a time of the apocalypse. The word, we, we use the word apocalypse to mean in, in our kind of common everyday language, we might say that things are going, things are crazy, things are chaotic. How, how many of you have felt that way? Like what is going on in the world? Have, have you felt that way recently? You check the news and it feels like the world is just on fire everywhere. We might call that a time of apocalypse, but actually, and we, and we, and we, and sometimes in church, let me just kind of go there a minute. And sometimes in church, we look at the book of revelation as some chaotic book of craziness. And that's where we're going. And whenever it gets crazy, that means God's coming back. Let me just suggest to you that revelation is talking about an apocalypse, but the word apocalypse actually means an unveiling, a pulling back of the curtain. God's not actually telling you I'm sending the world through chaos. He's saying the chaos around you is pulling back the curtain on the things that are not so that the things that are truth can rise up and Jesus can come out. An apocalypse means unveiling. I believe today for the church, God's using a time of birthing to unveil his truth. God's taking you through a season of challenge and difficulty so that he can pull back the blinders off of your eyes and you can see what he's already doing. 
It's interesting in, in a scripture, you look at a story of two different, uh, what we call theophanies, this, this experience of the divine, a manifestation of God on earth. We have one in the Old Testament with Joshua. Those of you who have been around church for a while, you might remember the story of Joshua and he sees an angel in front of him. He says, are you for us or against us? You might remember that story. And then later on, Paul, the, who writes two thirds of the New Testament, he has an encounter with the living God. He has a visual encounter. What's interesting about both of those stories is that only Joshua and Paul could actually see the heavenly appearance. They, they could, they're only, they, only they could really see what was going on in front of them. All the people that were with them, all the men that were with them, the Bible says, could not see what Joshua and Paul saw. And as, I, as you think about that, I, I began to think that must be what it's like to be in a season of prayer for your life. There are things that other people around you can't see, but you see it. They, they hear something. They know something's going wrong. They going on. They know you're, you're different than you used to be. You're, they're hearing things that you're talking different. You're living different. You're behaving different. And they might even say, I don't like how that looks. I don't like how that feels. I don't want you to behave that way. But the difference is that you're in prayer and you're seeing something that they don't see. You're having a revelation of what God is taking you into. And once you get that revelation, your blinders come off your eyes. How many of you know you can't stop? Somebody needs to hear this today. You get to a place in the birthing process and you begin to see the light, you don't stop. I, I know when, when my wife and I, when, when we were having a baby, I mean, I contributed some, but she was mostly involved in, in, the, in the baby having process, birthing process. I was there, I was cheering. Actually, I was scared, I was in the corner. Because <laughs> earlier I had tried to watch a basketball game while she was in labor. True story, I got in a lot of trouble. And I repented, but we've talked about it from time to time ever since. She reminds me, that's not the thing to do, fellas. I'm looking out some of my, some of my young couples, not the thing to do. Look at Derek over there. Don't go watch basketball. Well, I know it's going to be tempting while your wife's having a baby. This is not a good idea. I'm just trying to help you guys out. Well, while, while, we're, while Anna's being born, while Anna's being born, she begins to move through the birthing process, but the umbilical cord was wrapped around her around her waist and around her, her neck. And we didn't know that, of course. And so as I'm, you know, come on, you can do it, babe. You can, you know, she's screaming back at me, shut up, you know. <laughs> Get out of my face. <laughs> I don't need you to breathe on me. So, you know, I was doing my part. I'm saying, I was doing my part. We're trying, to, we're trying to bring new life. And, and Anna, you know, is our infant, infant child. She's, she's being born. A baby will naturally move toward the opening. And when you get in that opening, you want to move quickly. You want to go. You can't turn back. But as, as you can imagine, those of you in the medical field, or it doesn't take a lot of imagination, it's, if you've got an umbilical cord wrapped around you, you're not going to make it. And so, so, you know, the doctors rush in and, and they, have to, they have to create an opening. You know, they have to create an opening. Why? Because what's on the inside of you has to come out. I don't know what's been burning on the inside of you. I don't know what's been shaping on the inside of you, but I'm telling you, it's got to come out. You can't leave it in there forever or it will die on the inside of you. I'm telling you, God's called you to a place of birthing because that thing's got to come out. And I'm saying you move toward the opening, move toward the light, move toward what God is saying in your life. 
Refuse to be denied the birthing of what the grace is for you, the new opportunity God has for your life. You say, what does that mean, Pastor David? I don't know what it means for you. But God does. And he's speaking if you'll hear it in prayer. Prayer is incredibly significant because it is the place where we begin to hear what God is saying and lead us into that place of a new grace. James, he says, after all of these things, you can go back and read the first five chapters in James. After all of these things, this practical blue collar application of what it means to live out the life of God. Actually, James is Jesus' brother. Can you imagine what that was like? Growing up being Jesus' brother. Jesus is perfect in everything. James is in trouble all the time. You want to be bunkmates with Jesus? Anybody? No? James is, he's, he, but you know, James comes out of this process and he realizes that there's a real application to this Jesus lifestyle. And he says, the most important thing in the end is this, pray. After all of the stuff, after the all of, of reconcile with your brother about adding works to your faith and being faithful in obedience, after all of chapters one, two, three, and four, he comes to chapter five and he says, after all of this, here's the most important thing, just Pray. That might sound simple to you. It might, it might sound oversimple, but can I tell you that at the, at the core of Christian life is a conversation with a living God every day. Prayer for you should just be like breathing. You don't need to come up with a, an amazing set of words. You don't need to come up with some, some uh, amazing poem or poetic thought. You just need to say, God, I'm here. I'm here for you. I want to be with you. I want to be in your presence. You know what we've been doing for the first part of this service? We've been praying. We just put songs to it. Pastor Ashley and the team. Help us just sing along. We're just praying. We're saying, Lord, I'm here. I want to be with you. I want to be in your presence because it's in your presence that my life is changed. James says, after all of this, just pray. And when you pray, pray with determination. One translation says, the fervent prayer of the righteous person availeth much. The passionate, fervent prayer of God, of God in you is doing great work in and around you. When you pray with that sense of passion, with that sense of determination, you say, God, I want to hear your voice. Here's a principle you can write down. That prayer is, is what creates the open door and the open eyes for heaven to come down. You need, remember, you need to remember that prayer opens the door of heaven and it opens your eyes to see heaven coming down. A definition of prayer might be this. It's an awakening of my spirit to the work and the voice of the spirit of God. When in Acts chapter one and two, as we read Luke, Luke, Acts, Luke's writing this record of the, of the early church and Jesus's ascension just before Jesus leaves the earth. He's had this this um, transfigured body, this resurrection body experience, and he's releasing this, this new power of overcoming death. And he says, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. I'm sending you a partner. And then in Acts chapter two, it says that all of the disciples were in an upper room. They were gathered together. They were in unity and they were in prayer. And out of that moment, the Holy Spirit was released. 
It's in the moment of prayer that the Spirit of God rises up on the inside of you because you become awakened to things that are beyond just the earthly surroundings that are around you. What you really do is you begin to see that God is in everything. See, a lot of times we think about prayer and we think, well, God, take me to a place where I'm beyond the worldly things. I'm, I'm outside of the, the secular things, but in God, all things are holy. Everything around you is holy. What prayer will do is it will open your eyes to see my body is holy and it belongs to the Lord. My relationship with my family is holy. It belongs to the Lord. My job is holy. It belongs to the Lord. My time in, and, and enjoyment, having good time with others, my, my, my fun is holy. Everything is holy. Everything is an opportunity for God to speak to you. That's why it's important that you live your life as a lifestyle of prayer, not just opportunities and moments of prayer. Somebody say amen. Jesus taught us to pray like this in Matthew 6. Pray like this. Our Father, some of you know it, who were in heaven, holy is your name. Then he said what? Bring your kingdom into this earth and let your will be done just like it is where? So in heaven. In heaven. So when I'm praying, I'm not praying for some way off place to be experienced momentarily in me. I'm praying for something just on the other side of the veil. That's why I love the idea we're in a, a moment of birthing and apocalypse because I want God to pull back the veil and let heaven come in. That's what it takes. Whenever I'm praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, what I'm praying is, Lord, there's just a thin veil right here between my reality and yours, and I want to just, whoop, I want to pull it back and let you come on in. I don't know what you're experiencing in your life, but I dare you to pray that prayer. Lord, let your will be done in the, in the heavens, in your perfect kingdom. Come on, somebody say kingdom. That's what we're talking about. The reign and the rule of God. Let it be true on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, make me a pathway for what's true in heaven to be true in my life. Amen. How many want to be an avenue of God's presence? You want to be an avenue of God's kingdom. How many of you are tired of just living in the routine of the mundane, the day-to-day? -day? How many feel like your life is just a cycle and you're not going anywhere? I'm telling you, when you let in heaven, you'll go somewhere in a hurry. Because God opens up, he pulls back the veil. And listen, you begin to see that God is greater around me than I even imagined. I, I, I remember when we were... Uh, Jennifer and I were, if you grow up in church and particularly if you decide to go in ministry and you better know God's calling you to be in ministry. Can I get an amen from the pastors? Yeah, we're good. All right. So whenever you go in ministry, they tell you to do all kinds of things. You get to have opportunities to serve in all the areas. Isn't that right, Pastor Kathy? They'll put you on the front line. You don't even have to sing. They will put you on the front line. You could be terrible. They'll just cut your mic off. I, I, I know this too. I got some witnesses on front. They'll put you on front line. They will teach you everywhere. What the church does when, you're, when they're raising you up as a pastor and a leader, they just put you in places and they see how it goes. Kind of experiment. If you're not good, they don't ask you back to that area of ministry. They ministry. And on the front line, they cut your mic out. But when you go counseling people and they leave de more depressed than you came in, they say, you, you don't counsel. Pastor Dave, you don't counsel. You just go encourage the people, don't get in a room with them. So I'm be like, y'all stop doing what you're doing, you know, and then they leave depressed. And so anyway, I've tried a few things this is the point that I'm making in the church. I've tried a few things. One of the things I tried was kids church. I have been assigned to kids church. It was a short season. 
It was a short season. They, they wrapped it up in a hurry. Pa the pastor said, well, we're going to wrap that one up. I was about 22 or 23 years old. I was going to wrap that one up. That was good. You had two Sundays. But let me tell you, in one of those Sundays, I had an amazing thing happen. I was, I was teaching all these kids. I was giving it my all. I was teaching all these kids on the, 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 uh, the bread and the loaves, the miracle of, of the 5,000. And I'm, I'm, my wife and I has helped me, and I, and I found this, this illustration where, and I think I may have shared this before to a couple of some of you, but I found this where you could take a basket and you can put like a, a pin, a false bottom to the basket. And so I wanted, I wanted our, our kids to see that God is a God of breakthrough. He's a miracle. When you pray, multiplication happens. I believe that, but I needed, some, I needed them to believe that. So I took, I took my loaves. And I, and, I, and I took my basket and I had it all ready and I showed all the kids and I said, hey, look at this empty basket. We're going to put these loaves in it. So, of course, you know, I had the one loaf and I broke it up and I said, we're going to pass this around and I'm going to keep reaching in and we're going to see what God does. I thought this was a great idea. So I started, I said, Lord, bless this bread. I got real charismatic. I ain't going to lie to you. Lord, we're going to see a miracle. Bless this bread. So, of course, I, I mean, I'm just letting you know, I had some bread stashed underneath. <laughs> the, the, hey, you lost bottom. But I, mean, I believe God was going to touch these kids' life, you know. And so I'm reaching in, and I pull out the three pieces that I had put in there. They saw him put in there. And then I reach in, and I pull out a fourth piece. And I reach in, you know, I reach in below the false bottom, pull out a fifth piece and a sixth piece. And one of the kids just jumps up and he runs to me and says, is God doing a miracle right now? And I said, yes, he is. Isn't this amazing? Go tell the pastor. <laughs> because for him, in his innocence, he saw and had already believed that God could do something that he was not expecting. And sometimes when you and I get in faith like a child and we get in prayer, we start to remember, hey, God, you're able to do things that are bigger than me. I don't understand this circumstances, but I'm expectant of a miracle. Hallelujah. Prayer does that to you. It stirs you up. And listen, I'm not just praying what I want to happen. I'm praying that my eyes will open to what God's already doing. I'm not asking God. We, we have, a, we have a, a struggle sometime in the church. We think faith is some sort of algorithm or some special saying that you have to get God. God's already a good God without you praying for him to be good. I'm going to say that again. God's already good before you thought to pray for him to be good to you. I'm going to say this to you. If God's a loving father and you have to ask him to be loving towards you, he's not a loving father. If God's a God of blessing and you have to beg him or say the right words for him to come and bless you, then he's not a God of blessing. I got a challenge for you today. You might need to check which God you're praying to. Because there is a God of this world that will keep you in a circle. That'll keep you thinking around in circles, trying to find your way into a moralistic and holy life. And all along, God said, I made you holy. I made you righteous. You don't have to try to be what you already are. My God. You don't have to work hard or work it up or beg me. I'm already at work in this earth. The prayer of faith is just arising on the inside of me so that my blinded eyes could see what God is already doing. There is a miracle already taking place. 
Prayer has a way of healing our spiritual blindness. It's amazing how distracted that we become with the things that pull us away from the presence of the Lord. I talk to people all the time. We've been talking on Wednesday nights about the distractions that come in prayer. And prayer really is just a matter of being present to what God's already doing. It's trying to remove the distractions in your life so that you can get in unity with the perfect presence of God. That's what prayer is. It's, I don't, I'm, I'm guessing that most of you in this room are breathing just fine right now. And you haven't had to think about breathe in, breathe out. Prayer is like breathing. It's just my daily meditation. It's just me living in the process, in the ebb and flow of what God's already doing. I'm going to round the curtain and I'm going to say, what are you doing around this curtain? What are you doing around that corner, Lord? I'm expectant. I'm ready. Come on, somebody to see what God's doing. If I'm, if I'm distracted, come on, if I'm distracted, then I miss what God's doing. I walk right past it. Somebody needs to hear that. God, you're, you're wondering where God is. God says, I'm here. He's like waving his hand at you. I'm here. We're distracted. What, what's distracting? My, my agenda and my ambition can be distracting. I can be doing all these things and try to make my life better. In fact, we've been given a, a narrative in our culture that says upward mobility, finding your next thing, promotion in, in this world and success are the keys to happiness. And God says your ambition is getting you distracted from what I'm doing in, the, in your presence, in your life. Your agenda, your desire to get things done and to be a certain thing is keeping you from being the thing God's already made you to be. My how many know my disappointments can be distracting? Whenever that thing didn't happen the way I wanted it to happen, whenever that person didn't behave like I wanted them to behave. And, and th listen, God will speak to you from time to time. He will remove things from your life. But your job is not to get focused on the thing he removed. Your, God, your job is to focus in on where God's taking you. Don't be, don't be caught up in disappointment. Conflict in your home can be a distraction. Conflict, and somebody needs to hear this word today. There is a place in your, in your when I say your home, wherever your space is, you need to contend for the peace in that place. You don't need to let conflict come in your place, husbands and wives. That's why covenant marriage is so critically important. We have to contend for peace in our home. Why? Because God's taking you and your family somewhere. And if there's contention there constantly, you can't hear it because it's a distraction. You can't hear from God because you're constantly distracted. Conflict at your job, somebody say amen, is a distraction. Now, let me say something to you. You may, whether it's your associations, your friendships, your job, there are going to be times where you don't get along with everybody and newsflash, they don't always like you. But we can't get caught up into a scenario where we're trying to get God to put us in the most comfy, perfect place because what happens, we get apathetic, we get lethargic, and we get entitled. I'm preaching to somebody. We get to a place where we think somebody owes me something instead of saying, well, this, this momentary light affliction may be conflict at work, but I'm going to move beyond that and I'm going to let love rule the day. I'm going to love in, in the midst of my conflict. That's, what, that's a word for somebody today. I have to push and love in the midst of the conflict in my life. 
because love will conquer that pain in you and God will begin to do in you first what he's trying to do in them and in the environment. God has anointed you. Watch this, my ministry can be a distraction. My ministry can be, I'm doing this for God. I'm, I'm doing this for God. I get so wrapped up in all the things I'm doing for God, I forget to be for God. I get so wrapped up in all the doing of ministry that I forget to be. And that, and that, that hits pastors right in the heart because we're all about doing things to, to encourage others. Until I realize, come on somebody, that my identity has been wrapped up in my doing and I, I have forgotten what it's like to be present to God and to be affirmed that I am loved no matter what I do. I forget that in prayer, I'm not trying to get anything done. I'm just getting enough chance to say, Jesus, I am yours. I'm identified by you and I am loved. I want to encourage you today in your life, in your prayer life, the best thing you can do is just come and say, God, I am enough today. And what you have provided is enough for me. I don't have to hustle. I don't have to prove anything. I don't have to get anything done in prayer. I just have to be here with you. It's amazing what kind of inner transformation happens when you just say, Lord, here I am. I'm the clay. You're the potter. Come and shape my life. Can I get an amen? John chapter 9, verse 1 through 7 says this. We may show it on the screen. Jesus, he's, he's ministering and he's walking in the city and he comes upon a blind man. It says, Jesus is walking along and he saw a blind man who was blind from birth. And watch this. The disciples asked him, teacher, who sinned here so that this man was born blind? This man or his parents? Now, I'm, I'm gonna stop for a minute and just, just kind of touch on a way that we view the things God is doing. Because we can't see that God's purpose and plan is moving in and out of the earth, we often get focused and we try to say, God, where's the blame so that we can start fixing that? Where is the Where does the wrong lie so we can start doing right or being right? And God's saying, I am, I am moving in the earth. I am moving through all of this. So just be ready for me. Be prepared for me to move even when you didn't expect it to move. You expect to move. So he says, Jesus answered them and said, neither you, neither he, nor his parents. And look at this, verse, the next part of the verse. This happened so that God's mighty works might be displayed in him. Look at this. While it's daytime, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. The man's blindness was not a curse. It wasn't God doing something to him. It was an opportunity for God to show up as the light of the world. And Jesus is using that as a metaphor. What he's saying is that all the church gets so distracted and we're trying to figure out what God's doing and we want to make sure we're doing the right things. We get so moralistic. Somebody hear me. We get so moralistic. We get so focused on all the rules that we start rejecting the very people God is sending to us to get a touch from God. And instead of releasing the presence of God, we try to hoard it and it becomes rotted on the inside of our hearts. And he's using an analogy of the blind man to speak to Israel in that context. And he's saying, you are blind. This is your representation of you, but I am the light of the world. I'm in front of you and I've come to open up your eyes to see the kingdom of God has come now. 
The church has to lose our blindness that has been that has been hardened and calloused through dogmas and religiosity and rejection and prejudices and ways of seeing the world that are not justice and righteousness oriented. The church has lost its fervor because we're not awakened in prayer. The church has lost its fire because our blinded eyes have become calloused over and we don't see that the light of the world is standing right in front of us. How many of you know that sometimes we will actually keep the light of the world out of the church? We, we put crosses on our doors and keep the man of the cross out of our doors. Elijah and uh, Elisha tells his, his servant in 2 Kings chapter 6, open your eyes, open, that he prays over his servant. God, open his eyes so that he can see there are more for us than against us. What I'm trying to say today is that when you are blinded, you can't see what God's doing. Sometimes you leave God out. I'm speaking to somebody today, maybe it's somebody online. I just want to remind you, if you get so focused on the things you're doing and you're trying to be so right and you're trying to get so moralistic and you try to get so judgmental and you turn on the TV and say, well, those are, we don't like those people. We hate them or we're against them. I'm, I'm tired of the church being defined by what we're against. I want us to be defined by the light of the world, who we're for. I wonder, can we be defined by the one who gave his life for all and we can believe just one second that his love could overcome any sin, any hurt, any devastation, and any brokenness in our life? That's the kind of prayer warriors the church needs. Too often Christians pray, but look, instead of us praying and, and trusting God, we pray out of desperation instead of with confidence and consistency. I'm going to say that again. We often pray just out of desperation. We're moving crisis to crisis. Some of us pray between crisis instead of praying as a habit and a lifestyle. Instead of allowing the confidence in Jesus to dictate our prayer life, we allow crisis to dictate our prayer life. And I want to encourage you today, there's nothing wrong with praying in the middle of a crisis. But you can't let crisis define your prayer life. Because you were meant for more than just moving one crisis to the next. Your life, God has so much more for you than just the temporary motivation of the pain of a temporary circumstance. We have to look beyond the temporal and see that God has an eternal plan for my life. And until I start seeing that on the daily, I'll never begin to move toward places of growth in my life. I get caught up in the same routines and the same cycles of my life. I don't know who this is for, but somebody, you, you, you hear this and it's, it's speaking to my life that I get caught in the same singular routine over and over, the same struggles. I can't move beyond it. Why? Because I'm just moving from crisis to crisis instead of saying, God, in the stillness of this moment, what are you doing in me? How are you shaping me? God, I want my life to be different. I want to be shaped on the inside. Jesus' life was a life of prayer. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 16. We'll show it on the, the screen here. It says, rejoice always and pray how often? Continually, without ceasing. Give thanks in every situation because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Pray always. Somebody say pray always. I want to encourage you in your life, don't just pray occasionally. Don't just pray when crisis arrives. Pray always. Wake up in a spirit of prayer. 
Wake up in a moment of prayer and listen, and as soon as you get distracted, just come back to the place of prayer. Just come back. You might, you might get distracted 30 times. Just come back. That's 30 times you get to come back to the presence of the Lord. Let me give you four things here that, that you'll get out of prayer. You know, the Psalms we're teaching on Wednesday night, the Psalms are prayers. And here's how the Psalmist prays. If you want to, if you will get consistent in your prayer life, you will move to the place, the seat of heaven. And here's what you can be promised. Some of you need this today. Psalms 23, you will have peace in your life. The Lord is my shepherd and I lack nothing. He lets me rest in grassy meadows and he leads me down to restful waters. And I pray I get peace. When I pray, I get peace. Not because God gives me something, it's because I get awakened to that God is here. I don't have to, I don't have to be in anxiousness anymore. I don't have to be in contention anymore. Can I say something to you today? You might be a prayer warrior, but you're not meant to fight for everything. You might be at a place where you contend in the spirit, but that doesn't mean you're in constant contention. You were made for still waters and grassy fields. The thing about the kingdom is it's already here. <laughs> it's already here. I just have to step over into it. But if you're living your life in constant contention, if you're constantly fighting and you're, and you're battling and you're battling, your soul is going to wear out. The tires on your soul are going to grow thin and you're going to have a flat and you're going to be on the side of the road. Because you were not made to be in constant contention. You were made to rest in peace. That's enough to go home with today. But there's more. You get peace. You can also get contentment. Psalms chapter 16, 5 and 6 says, You, Lord, are my portion, my cup, and my, you control my destiny. And look, my lines have fallen beautifully to me. Yes, I have a lovely home. When I enter into a moment of prayer, I pray this, give me this day my, my what bread? It means that I don't need tomorrow's bread, I just need today's. I'm at a place of contentment in prayer because I don't need to ask for tomorrow because the God that gave me today is going to be already in my tomorrow. When I wake up, he'll have another portion and all I have need of will be there. I don't have to hustle for it, I don't have to fight for it. The greatest challenge of your life as a man or woman of faith is to see it, be at peace and to live in contentment and just move gracefully into your next place. You don't have to hustle, you don't have to overcome anybody. Can I suggest to you today, you don't even have to beat any devils because Jesus beat them on the cross. You don't need to fight no demon because the power of love from the cross 2,000 years ago is the same power that lives in your life today. All you need to do is lift your hands and say, Lord, I don't have to fight this battle. It belongs to you and I'm going to live in contentment because what I have need of today, you have given me. All that I have need of, you provided. You've given me my portion, and guess what? There's a portion in there for somebody else too. Because God's a generous God. He's the God of giving. So I know I don't have to eat all of that God gave me. I can take this portion and say it's enough for today. But this part right here, I'm going to give away. If you come to the end of your day and you don't have time to love somebody, you didn't do it right. If you come to the end of your means and you don't have a way to be generous, you haven't done it right. 
Don't hear me. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I understand money fluctuates and you have different circumstances. I'm not talking about strictly monetary means. That's a, that's a way of the world thinking. I'm saying God's provided what you need. He's giving you the energy he needs. He's giving you the love you need. He's giving you the relationships you need. He's giving you the connections you need. And it's enough. It's enough. It's enough. And I don't have to hoard it because as soon as I hoard it, it spoils. As soon as I hoard it and keep it in me, it stops being content and it starts being contention. Somebody needs to hear that. You're holding on to too much. Some of you are not giving enough. You got to release more. You got to let more out. You got to give more love. You got to give more time. You got to give more energy. Not to earn anything or prove anything, just to show yourself that God is faithful because tomorrow when I wake up, I'll be able to get it again. I'll be able to get more because God is a God of abundance. Somebody say abundance. You get peace and contentment, but you get clarity. Psalm 16, says, you teach me the paths of life. In your presence is total celebration. Beautiful things are always in your right hand. Whenever I pray, I get clarity. We live in a time of uncertainty. Quite frankly, it's just a cycle. If you're not uncertain today, give it a minute. It'll happen. If things are going great for you, that's beautiful. But give it a minute, it'll happen. There's going to be a moment in your life when you're uncertain. And in those times, we have to lean into clarity. And that comes from the Lord. And the final thing is this, protection. God gives us protection. Psalms 91 says God will protect you with his, with, God will protect you all around you and he will, you will find refuge under his wings. His faithfulness is a protective shield. You can't be at a place of contentment and peace if you're constantly believing you're going to have somebody attack you from your blind side. God's got it all the way around. I don't say that to somebody today. God's got it all the way around. He's got your rear guard. He's got your side guard. He's got your front guard. He's got your up guard. He's got your down guard. God's got it all the way around. You just need to live in a life of prayer. You need to live in a life of contentment. Contentment. You need to say, God, I am protected. I don't have to do the protecting because you are my protector. So I want to I share these four things. You write them down and William, the worship team's coming. God is calling us to a season and a lifestyle of unhindered prayer. Now, I don't know what it is. This is what word God gave me. God is awakening the church through this season of prayer and something is hindering your prayer. Something is restricting your prayer life and it's contentious and it's discouraging. And I want to I wanna just share these, these words with you. I want you to think about them this week and let God break them off your life. Let him lead you. Number one, what's, what's hindering your prayer? Broken relationship can hinder your prayer. Number one, broken relationship can hinder your prayer. Whenever we are covenant people, whenever there's contention in your life, whenever there is restriction in relationship, it will hinder your prayer because you weren't made to keep that thing going. That's why, that's why the scripture tells us not let the sun go down on your anger. Don't allow anger to rule your life. Don't allow bitterness to rule your life. Don't allow frustration with someone else to rule your life because it will hinder your prayer. James is the brother of Jesus. Can you imagine how frustrated he might've been Everything's not perfect with James and all his brothers. And brothers, in fact, we know from, from, the, from the gospels that some of his brothers rejected Jesus. And because they rejected Jesus, they couldn't see the Christ. When you reject someone because you have conflict, you miss Jesus in them. 
When you decide you're going to be in contention with someone, you might be cutting yourself off from a word from God that needs to come into your life. I remember when, when I was young, there's this lady in our church name was Miss Mizella, and Miss Mizella frustrated my world as a young pastor. And I wanted Miss Mizella to listen to me, but I was 20 nothing and knew nothing, and she knew it. And I was so frustrated until the day I realized that my frustration with her, I was, I was keeping myself from some deep formation that God was bringing to me through her. But because my relationship was cut off, I couldn't get it. So I repented and I said, I need to know this lady. I want to challenge you today. Some of the people you think are your enemy, God's sending you to love them so that their life can shape your life. Broken relationship will kill what God's doing on the inside of you. Number two, praying out of fear instead of praying from a place of faith will hinder your prayer. Praying from a place or out of fear instead of faith. You know, Judas, we, we, we are discouraged or we, we look at Judas and we think, what a failure. But the reality is, is Judas was ambitious for Jesus. Hear me. Judas wanted Jesus to get done what he thought should have happened, which was that the Roman rule would have been conquered and Jesus would have been king and all the people that were bad would have been overcome. Only problem was is that he was doing Judas' agenda, not Jesus' agenda. And when we pray out of our own agenda, we pray from a place of fear and scarcity. I don't know who this is for today, but when you are praying out of your own agenda, when you're praying out of your own ambition, fear is your motivator, because why? Because you're trying to run away from something instead of running towards something. Fear is scarcity driven, faith is rooted in resurrection hope. Fear is scarcity driven, I won't have enough. That's true, you won't, but when you move over into the resurrection, there's always enough, there's abundance. I want to encourage you to take your eyes off your circumstances that are, born, but that are being the birthing place for fear and put your eyes on Jesus and let resurrection hope be stirred up on the inside of you. Amen. Third thing is this, write this down. Your past pain and your past disappointments can hinder your prayer. Your past pain and your past disappointment. What do we learn about Thomas? We always call, those of you in church while, we give Thomas a little adjective, an identifier. We call him doubting Thomas. Thomas's problem wasn't that he needed to see Jesus because once he sees him, he, he doesn't even touch him. He doesn't even touch his, his, his scars. He just, he's overwhelmed. Thomas's problem was he was disappointed that Jesus didn't do what he thought he was going to do. And so his prayers were hindered. So sometimes in your life and my life, we get expecting, we think God's going to do something and he doesn't come through and we think he failed us and it hinders my prayer life. We start getting expectations on others and we, they don't do what we need them to do. So we get disappointed and discouraged. I want to share with you today that you, when you can't see what God is doing next in your life until you see how God is, was healing what happened in the past of your life. You can't see, watch this, you can't see what God's going to do next until God heals the past. So whatever pain and disappointment you're going through today, I want to encourage you, it's hindering your prayer. You got to let go. You got to break free of that bondage off your life. I, I, I feel like God's speaking to people today. 
there is something that's keeping your prayers. They feel like they're hitting the ceiling. That's because you have to deal with that disappointment and know you weren't alone. Jesus was with you. And he's bringing healing to that place of your life. So that prayer, you know what it's like? It's like you have a well of prayer in your life, a presence, but there are rocks on top of that well. And through the healing power of the Lord, we're removing those rocks so that you can dig down once again and taste of that fresh water. Amen. And here's the final thing. Once you stand to your feet, I want to share this with you. It might not be broken relationships for you. It might not be disappointments. It might not be fear. Pastor Kathy and I were talking in the back as we were praying and, and just getting ready to come out. And, and we realized that sometimes prayer is hindered because it's not time yet. God's timing can hinder your prayers in a good way. Sometimes when we pray, we, we pray expecting and then God doesn't come through. What we don't realize is that your prayer time, God's shaping you. You're going into the, the womb of God's preparation and it's not time yet. I, I'm gonna speak to somebody today. God's in a season where you're being shaped and molded. It's not time for you. So God's time is hindering your prayers, but in a good way, God's shaping and molding you. He's getting ready. He's getting you ready for your next. Can I say something to you today? God has already prepared a place, but he's working to prepare you for that place. And it's my job to get into a place of contentment, a place of, of receptivity and say, God, whatever it is you're doing, come do in my life right now. So if that's you today, lift your hands. I want you to pray with me. The team's gonna lead us. We're gonna invite Jesus in the room. And if God's preparing you right now, if God's taking you into a place of, of, of intimacy and, and preparation, I want you to get your hands up and I wanna say, Lord, come and make me. Come and walk into my life. Come and shape me. Come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Everything changes. Darkness starts to tremble. Now, if you're online today, just Jesus, I'm here when you walk. And when you walk into the room, every heart starts burning. And nothing matters more than just to sit here at your feet and worship you. No, we worship Jesus, Jesus. Say we love we love you, and we'll never say can live without you, Jesus. Oh, we love you, Lord. Come on, Jesus. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on. Come on. Come on, you're, you're entering into the, the, the birthing process of the dark place. Come and shape me, Jesus. Oh, we'll never stop. Oh, Jesus. Sing. If you need a place in this altar, I want you to come down now. 
I want you to step out of your seat and make a place. Our, our, our prayer team's gonna come, but if you need a touch from God today, if you need a breakthrough in prayer, I want you to step out of your aisle and get down to this altar and make a place of prayer. Get into a, a place in a position where God breaks through in your life like never before. I wanna invite you, come now. Prayer team's coming, let's pray. Let's just create a space. Come on, worship team. Sickness starts to vanish and every hopeless situation ceases to exist. When you walk into the room, the dead begin to rise. The dead begin to rise. resurrection life in all you do. Come on, come on. Come on, breakthrough is coming today. Come on. Give it all, give it all, give it all. 